one of the cliches about English local government, and it's probably increasingly true, is it's data rich and analysis poor. This is where partnerships with academia, partnerships with think tanks, partnerships with other organizations became vitally important. Welcome back to the Business of Policymaking, the new podcast from Leeds University Business School with myself, Jana Javornik, and Hannah Preston as a producer. My guest today is Paul Heiss, Senior Policy Fellow at Leeds University Business School. We talked about his experience as a policy manager at a local council in Northern England and what it is like working in local government. We also discussed how local governments engage with academics and how academics can get on policymakers' radars and build networks with colleagues working in local councils. Apologies if you can hear some drilling quietly in the background at one point, the joys of working outside a building site. We also have a special guest appearance from Paul's cat at some point, who you might be able to hear in the background if you listen very carefully. I really enjoyed talking to Paul about his previous job and finding out more about local government. I hope you too will enjoy listening to our conversation. Hi, Paul. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Jana. It's really good to have you on the show today. So, Paul, you have recently joined Leeds University Business School as a Senior Policy Engagement Fellow. Prior to joining us at the Business School, you were a Corporate Policy Manager at Wakefield Council, so that's up north in Yorkshire, and Policy Lead for the Key Cities Group, which is an association of 27 mid-sized UK cities. You gained invaluable insight into the processes of policymaking at the local level. Might you tell us a bit about your past role and work? What did it entail? What does being a corporate policy manager at a local council actually mean? Absolutely. Thank you, Jana. Unlike the civil service, there's not really what you could describe as a policy profession within English local and regional government. So I came up through performance management, through project management, through what was also called best value, which was... um, a strategic programme brought in by the last Labour government around analysing services within across local authorities in England and whether they were fit for purpose. I've done policy in the corporate centre for roughly 20 years in Wakefield and, as you say, with Key Cities, which was a cross-party group of local councils from, as you say, 27 cities across England and Wales. The big difference between the policy and the civil service, as I would put it, is that local government is obviously a lot smaller. It's got a lot more focused and smaller corporate centres than the civil service. So the policy profession and policy people, you can usually count on one hand, and that's not within a, a city, that's probably across a region. So in West Yorkshire, you'd be talking there's about eight or nine policy people, and they pretty much, those in the corporate centre, do everything. That's the big difference. If you're in the civil service, you're in a department, you're in, I don't know, you're in transport, you're in highways, you're in health. In local authorities, you pretty much do everything. So I was lead author for corporate strategies, and that wasn't just the council's corporate plan. I wrote, for example, a community safety strategy. I wrote a third sector strategy. Very much close working with politicians in terms of supporting them. I also led on things such as the census, uh, digital switchover. You become a jack of all trades in in local authorities. And that's, I think, the fundamental difference 
And the other one is, of course, you're operating, certainly locally, you're operating within a very small geographic area and with a lot more politicians that are a lot closer to you than, than in the civil service. That sounds amazing. So I hope there were some Jackies of all trades as well, not just Jacks. Oh, yes. <laughs> adding to that, but what role, if if any, would you say the in-house analysis have in policy process at this government level? So you've mentioned that you actually covered everything, and I'm mm. sure you've also covered the doing policy analysis and all of that. And did you, in that role, actually got to engage with academics, academia, wider research? Why and how did you identify potential consultants from academia? I think the big thing to add in here is the impact of austerity over the last decade on English local government. You're talking about organisations that have had a 40% cut in their budget. So what you've got, again, is capacity is very, very limited across, certainly in mid-sized local authorities. Some of the larger ones, combined authorities, have capacity, but they've got quite a larger strategic role. So I'll, I'll give you an example. 2012, there were probably four people in Wakefield dealing with policy, and that didn't include the data people, etc. Post that, there was me. Also, I then had responsibility, strategic responsibility for equality, diversion, and inclusion as well, plus, as I said, any other little jobs that came up. You still had a lot of data. One of the cliches about English local government, and it's probably increasingly true, is it's data rich and analysis poor. This is where partnerships with academia, partnerships with think tanks, partnerships with other organisations became vitally important, certainly as the 2010s went on. So I ended up doing a, a lot of commissioning of research pieces from universities, including we just completed in Wakefield, for example, a very large three-year research ESRC, the Economic and Social Research Funded Programme with the Social Science Institute called Northern Exposure, which was around racism and community cohesion in Brexit voting northern towns. And you end up engaging with a lot of those. So key cities, for example, commissioned research from both think tanks and academics. It commissioned work from Kurds. Yeah, Centre for Urban and Region Development Studies at Newcastle about city economies. This is one of the problems that local authorities, they lacked economists, they lacked sociologists, they lacked anthropologists, but those areas of research have become increasingly important to local authorities. So what you end up doing is working with and trying to build relationships. Now, for a lot of places, that's not too bad because they've got a physical university presence, so they will know where to go to. But there are many places in the UK, the smaller places, don't have a physical university presence. So relationship building in local institutions or regional institutions becomes massively important. And one of the problems is you're quite time poor in doing this. So what I would try and do was make relationships with institutions and attempt to engage with those. But also you find, and this is probably a criticism of academia, that universities don't operate as corporate entities. There was another university that Wakefield attempted to engage with a memorandum of understanding. And one of the problems was, in terms of gauging research, you had to go around roughly, I think there were 20 schools in that institution that they wanted to meet individually. And there was real problems. So you end up honing it down 
which is a shame because academics, all the work I've done adds an awful lot of value. They have the thinking time. They have the critical skills. These are where academics can add value to local authorities that local authorities don't have anymore. And then that's a, still an ongoing issue. And that issue doesn't look like ending. So the critical skills are not what you've got is a lot of people who are very good at delivery in local public services. They also understand their locality. But what they don't have is the time to look at it from a fresh perspective. And that's the value of academic partnerships, definitely. So you've raised the issue of time in this um, last answer. Could you give us a bit of a sense, like a greedy, needy detail? Uh, what is the speed and what are the timelines uh, local governments are working against? One of the cliche, and then the cliche of local government is, what time are you going home tonight? I, can I have a report in two hours? And you end up doing that sort of work. The other one is local government's unique in England, that it has to balance a budget on an annual basis. NHS trusts don't have to do that. Civil service doesn't have to do that. Local government does. So everything becomes into an annual budget cycle. So decisions, very much important strategic decisions affecting places, are made on a very quick turnaround. It's very rare, for example, you'll get a multi-year research project. Projects will be done in two to three months data will be wanted within a month and then also that will go through the political process that will include critiquing it so you operate on a very quick time scale sometimes it's a quick and dirty time scale in terms of right example corporate plans are written in three to four months usually by two to three individuals with one lead author so you're taking the time, the, the concept of time to an entirely different level. Yeah. So you've mentioned that it's really important that you curate and obviously first establish and then really nurture the relationships with various mm. academic networks. And I do wonder when one is willing to collaborate with you, how does a good academic or a good academic network actually fall onto your radar? How do you identify them? You've mentioned local universities, yeah. but obviously, as, as you've also said, not all local governments have access to local universities. No. I also used to say the greatest tool for a policy person was Twitter. Because, again, local authorities sometimes don't, for example, have access to academic journals. They're paywalled. It's Twitter. It's media. It used to be, for example, conference attendees. It was also who you engage with. It was also what you'd probably describe as the trade press. So in local authorities, it'd be things like the Municipal Journal, the Local Government Chronicle, even down to things in the broader media. That's regional media, local media. So having a media profile for an academic and having a social media profile for an academic is that's the sort of thing that's going to get you noticed by policy people. You've mentioned Twitter, which is obviously now called X, um, but let's not go there. What would you advise academics do to help raise their profile on social media? A big hint is that is to engage with people. So you will have people that will put a post, comment on that post, develop a relationship. There's a lot of people, academics as well as people in other councils, that in, in other clubs. I built relationships through engaging with those people on social media, commenting, obviously politely, but engaging with them and actually having debates with people through Twitter. Certainly, yeah, as you said, it's going in an interesting direction at the moment, but in its heyday, I also described it to people as, as one of the best tools. Also, what would happen is, for example, a government spending review would come out. So you'd have the, the speech from the Chancellor, 
you'd literally have Twitter on another screen and watch who was commenting using the hashtags on that. And you'd start to find people that were interesting. You'd follow them. They'd follow you back. You'd build a relationship with those people. So the use of things like hashtags on Twitter and targeting and as a search tool were really good in terms of developing relationships and sustaining them. That's very useful, I think, in terms of getting not only the presence, but actually getting the content, getting it right and getting it at the right time. And this is one of the questions I have for you from your previous role, and that is how an academic can actually get the notion of timing right. Because obviously we often think the research we do has societal value Mm -hmm. and it's not necessarily time sensitive, whereas policymaking in a policy world, you are surrounded by very much politicized world, depending on what's trending yes. on the political agenda of the time. So how do we as academics get to understand the political agenda, the really fast paced timeline against which things change at a policy level? Mm. Again, it's it's building and sustaining relationships. One of the things I've always said to academics I've commissioned is I don't want to see your report in three months. I want you at the end of a phone a good academic becomes some ways an unofficial advisor and you will introduce them to people, you will take them around your organisation, you will virtually introduce them to people and they get a feeling. It's it's like a process of osmosis. You can see it occasionally snowballing in academics as they start to understand. They go beyond. A lot of time, once you've got a relationship, they do. And I, I think the term trusted advisor is actually quite well... They're seen certainly as having less of an agenda, should we say, think tanks or a big accountancy and consulting firms who will come in with an agenda. They'll come in with a product you know, that they've done somewhere else. But if you're an academic, you've got a quality mark and you're seen as independent and neutral. You're not trying to sell a product. And that, that's good in terms of you know, the reputation of somebody coming in from a university or an academic institution to work with a government agency that they've got that background and pedigree. So I worked with a couple of people. I'll go back again to the project around community cohesion. Literally, I had those people as cohesion advisors. They were finding things from their perspective. They were going beyond their research project as to things that they might find useful in future. So we ended up having a discussion, for example, around agricultural migrant workers with one of the researchers who wanted to do some further stuff on that. Also, again, what government can provide academics? A lot of the time, it's not money. The big two things that I've always said I can provide you as a researcher is one, data, that you don't have to run around and chase because there are data sets within government that are not publicly available. You can go through them, but they're incredibly useful. And and the researchers I've worked with have found them incredibly useful. And the other one is access, not just within organisations, but within a wider area, in particular stakeholders, business, community groups. One of the things you, you can do in my sort of previous role is you can facilitate that access because it improves the quality of the research that comes out, but it also benefits the researcher for doing further work. So, Paul, you spend a couple of decades in a fast-paced, politicised environment, working for the local government and with the local government, and now having moved into academia. So everything you've described, giving you thinking space, giving you the perks I would probably, as an academic, slightly disagree with. 
But I do wonder, what are the lessons? What are the skills that you are transferring from one to another? So let's remind our audience that you are now working as a senior policy engagement fellow at Leeds University Business School. So what it is that you're bringing from your previous job onto your new one into an academic setting? And how can academics actually work with you? I'm, as I say, I'm still coming to terms with my role. I've only been in it a few months, but I'm describing it to people as a mixture of matchmaking and translation. Writing for a policy audience, for example, is very different to writing an academic journal paper. I, I've learned that the other way around in terms of that. It, it's a different skill set. So it's supporting colleagues to actually say, right, how is somebody in the policy field? What do they want? How do they want that data? How do they want those recommendations presenting? How would you write a select committee submission for a parliamentary select committee? So that, in some ways, is one of the roles I'm undertaking to support academics at the business school. I think the, the other one, of course, is my address book. Who do you know? Because you, what you've got, the English subnational state is a very fragmented thing. So we've had, what, 12 years of neoliberal government. We've got stuff that's privatised. There are entities that operate as partnerships. that are changing names of organisations, changing roles and remits of organisation, the devolution agenda in England. It's fragmented and it's complicated. And sometimes it's quite hard unless you've actually been in that environment to say, who is responsible for what? Because it, it can get confusing. So... Part of my role is actually supporting academics. Well, these are the people you might want to talk to. These are the people who are engaged in that area. This is what's likely to be on their policy radar as an issue. So I think that's where, hopefully, I'm adding value within the business school to researchers and academics. So how do you get onto academics radar? So my question was, how does an academic get to your attention as someone working in the policy field? How do you now get on the academic radar so that academics come to you and actually use your service? Yeah. One of the things is, is certainly for my role is to be proactive, is to try and understand what people are doing. One of the things I did do, I started during the pandemic and it grew like topsy was when during lockdown, I started doing a daily policy alert, which was a pressy of everything that came out from think tanks, everything that, that I could find that came out from government departments, some academic research in there. That seems to have grown like wildfire now. My external version has about 450 subscribers, not just in academia, but within government. And it, it's an incredibly useful tool. So much so that I get embargoed advanced copies of policy documents and things like that. And the other one is, so for example, within the business school, there's a set of research areas and research institutes. It's looking at those things, right, you're looking at this, Centre for Decision Research, looking at your web pages, they're the sorts of things you're doing, engage with them, how can you, this is me, I've just started the business school, I understand you're doing X and Y, how can I add value? There's a lot about being proactive on both sides, I think, and I don't even call them sides, on both both elements of the partnership, that academics need to be proactive, but also so do policy people, because it both adds value, and you build virtuous circles. And I say, I'm back to that snowball metaphor, that once things start to snowball, relationships start to snowball, Knowledge transfer from both sides starts to snowball. 
then you you know the value of those partnerships and the value of those collaborations you know, increases probably exponentially i mean I've, I've known academics i've worked with for a good few years now and i'm still engaged with them there are other institutions not at leeds themselves but i've still got excellent working relationships with them they send me stuff they invite me to things they call me up and say what's going on about x and y and it c- continues to work it's a big thing is have people that you can talk to probably about a variety of subjects it's build networks Net- networks are great you keep talking about networks, but let's focus on the, and I'm going to use that only for the podcast purpose, post-pandemic period. Obviously, we aren't there yet. This has changed the way we engage. This has opened up new opportunities. And I'm sure local governments have changed their approach to, to reaching out to various different groups and networks as well. Have you seen that happening in, in your world? Is that your experience? And if so... It's probably the physical geographical distance is becoming less of an issue. So apart from Twitter, how do we become available and how do we become more reachable across this large country and internationally as academics? I think you're very right with things like Teams. Microsoft Teams and Zoom have delivered a paradigm shift in how people operate. I, for example, at the end of the pandemic, got pulled into a couple of advisory groups from academics I'd never met before in universities in London to support that. Advisory groups seem to be quite a big thing in terms of pulling people together and building those networks. The virtual networks are as strong. You don't have to get up at five o'clock in the morning anymore and get on a train to London to meet somebody for two hours and then somebody you'll only ever see in six months. You can start building that. So they become incredibly useful. There were people I'd never engaged with globally before that now I can do via teams. So I did some work with the Centre for Local Economic Strategies and what's called Preston model back in Key Cities days. They've got contacts with the Democracy Collaborative in America. So again, you end up engaging with those. So it's utilising new technology because you don't have to go to the conference now physically. And a lot of the time, the policy people can't be released to go to the conference. You you, You can't take a week out to do that, but you can take half an hour to attend a seminar or a session. And the good think tanks and the good academic are building those sorts of things and those events, and they're putting them online. And they're giving people and say, right, this will take you an hour, but it'll be incredibly useful. You'll meet 35 people, you'll get 35 people's emails, you'll also get, you know, a transcript, and you'll know these people are interested, and they're the people you might want to talk to later on. It's a very high-tech version of business cards, but it works. Love that. Paul, having crossed to the other world now, to the other side, to the academia, how do you see your role developing? I know you've mentioned several times in offline conversations that you're still learning the ropes, and obviously the transfer probably isn't as smooth as one would envisage because the the two worlds are quite different. So first of all, what is one of the biggest differences you've noticed between the two sectors, and how do you see your role developing in the future? The biggest difference between sectors, and again, I'll come back to it, is thinking and thinking time. I'm I'm amazed at sometimes the thinking time that academia actually has, because I am so used to, I say, what time were you going home tonight? I still remember a bunch of civil servants coming up to talk about levelling up, 
and my boss turns up at nine o'clock says can you write a briefing note about what wakefield's asks are for leveling up all right what time are they coming oh one and a half hours <laughs> and the chief exec wants it so you you did a lot of quick and dirty stuff you don't get the rigor academia has the rigor which is a very much a different thing but the, the critique of academia is from from the policy side that it is all about the rigor that what policy people want in some ways yes they want the evidence they want the background but what they really want is what do i do next what's your recommendations what's your recommendations for action in some ways there's very little point in engaging with academia for somebody to tell you what's going on which is useful but the most important fact is what do i do about it and i always describe it as the advice should be what do i stop doing what do i do what do i start doing or what do i do differently and they're the things that certainly the politicians want to know who are people with remarkably short attention spans uh, they, 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 they will not read a bibliography. Quite the opposite. So it's that sort of thing. And what I want to do in working with academics, I'm not an academic, but I want to help academics engage and deliver impact with those people. By saying, this is the style and this is what politicians, this is what senior managers in the public sector are comfortable with. How can I help you engage with them, make a difference, give them the tools and the ideas and the act for action and i think that would i could see it would be a success in this role in terms of supporting the business school and supporting individual academics and groups of academics in making an impact and again in sustaining going beyond individual projects and sustaining long-lasting partnerships that become productive and can go off in different tangents and different directions Audiences probably don't know that you and I have been working quite closely together on something that's going to hopefully become a product of uh, business school soon, let's hope. Yeah. So no spoilers here. But as an academic who keeps popping into policy making, whatever you said really resonates with me. But knowing now the both worlds, what would be your top tip? for academics who are eager, willing, and able to engage with the local government? My top tip for academics is one is how I would actually do it. If I was, if I was sat in a university, I had a piece of research and I thought this may be of interest to local government, to somebody operating in a, in a local public service, because obviously you have the NHS that operates at a local level, you have things like housing associations, street housing providers, you've got the police, you've got a variety of people, is try and find somebody to talk to who will open the doors for you, usually in a, usually in a corporate centre or in a central organisation. Their comms people are usually quite good as a public contact, as an entryway through, because you, know, you, you want somebody who can signpost you into that organisation. And then it's do a Teams chat, have a coffee with somebody, start bouncing ideas off. Going and saying, I want to do research on this is probably not going to get you very far because, one, it's probably not on the top of the politician's radar as this week's problem. It's a conversation is, what's this week? What are the you know, issues affecting your place or your organisation or the people you serve? And then... 
I'm interested in that area. Can we negotiate some form of collaboration that can benefit us mutually? I think that's, in some ways, that's the top tip. You have to be proactive. A lot of the time, they're not going to come to you, the policy people, because they're too busy. It's easier in a place that's, again, got a local physical HE presence because there will be relationships. So if you're in somewhere like Leeds, that's got a very large city organisation, probably about, what, four universities at the moment within the city, there'll be people in your institution that will have existing relationships. So probably, first thing, go talk to them and say, right, who do you know at the local authority? Who do you know in the NHS? Who do you know in the police that may be interested in this as a piece of research or this area? And then literally go and engage with them. I've lost count of the people who say, oh, I'm doing some research on X. Uh, can I come and talk to you in Wakefield? That's not on my radar. And I'd say, sorry, but I've got other things to do. You know, if you came back to me and talked about why, which is what I'm panicking about at the moment, it's a, it's a thoroughly different conversation. What I used to come back with is, have you got a, a colleague who's researching area Y? So you can still benefit, it may not benefit an individual academic, but it can certainly benefit their institution or their faculty or their school. And again, you, you keep them on the radar. And I think that's the big thing. It's relation, it's being proactive. It's also recognising that just because you go to somebody with an opportunity for research is they're going to take that up. But they may take something else up that you least have. It's a process of negotiation between a public institution and either an individual or a group of academics. And they seem to be the most productive relationships. It also gives you public opportunities. There's something called overview and scrutiny in English local councils, which I think is massively underused by academics. What That's basically the local equivalent of parliamentary select committees. So what you have is scrutiny panels, and they have a right to roam and investigate. And they always have an annual work programme of areas. And they don't just look at council services. They look at issues across. I used to manage a scrutiny function in Wakefield. They look across the area around issues. And again, they are more than happy at times to invite academics to present to those panels, again, in terms of delivery of impact. Overview and scrutiny is a, is a much underused tool to engage with local public services and make an impact in local public services. That's been incredibly useful. I think Hannah and I will need to change the title of our podcast from the uh, business of policymaking to let's have a cuppa, because that's probably one thread coming across all uh, conversations we've had so far is let's have coffee and let's discuss uh, and let's present research. So Hannah, you and I should probably rethink the title of our podcast. Paul, is there anything... I haven't asked anything. Academics should really benefit from your wealth of knowledge. No, as I say, I think the clue is always, because I've sat on the other side of the hill from it, is it's the relationship that counts. And the relationship is ongoing. And the relationship goes beyond, a lot of the times, the parameters of what you'd understand to be the research project. Because what you've got, again... I think one of the downsides occasionally I've found of academics is they know an awful lot about quite a small area. So occasionally it's point me in the direction of your colleague or that's really interesting. Can I phone you up and ask you about this? And sometimes I'll say, well, I know somebody in that faculty or somebody you know, three doors down 
who can add value and you end up adding that value. It's, it's, again, it's virtuous circles, it's snowballing, it's relationships. You, you need to, Both sides need to be in it for the long haul. It's also a good sign if you're exchanging Christmas cards with an academic. Let's be green, right? Let's get a cuppa instead of a card. Yes. Paul, I really enjoyed talking to you. I've learned so much. Thanks ever so much for investing your time and precious knowledge and experience with us. And ditto. I'm enjoying working with you very much, Jana. Thank you for that. Thanks, Paul. Catch you later. Bye. You've been listening to the Business of Policymaking podcast from Leeds University Business School, presented by Jana Jabornik and produced by Hannah Preston. If you'd like to get in touch about anything you've heard in this episode, our contact details are in the episode show notes.